I don't know what you're up to. But I'm going to tell you it's going to stop right now. No, it's not going to stop. It's going to go on and on until you face up to your responsibilities. What responsibilities? I'm pregnant. I'm going to have our child. Alex, that's your choice, honey. That has nothing to do with me. I just want to be a part of your life. Oh, this is the way you do it, huh? Showing up at my apartment? Well, what am I supposed to do? You won't answer my calls. You change your number. I mean, I'm not going to be ignored, Dan. You don't get it. You just, you don't get it. Don't you remember our weekend? It wasn't that wonderful. <laughs> Why can't we just be like that again? I know you feel it, too. I mean, what are you so afraid of? <laughs> Just don't flatter yourself, Alex. Go ahead, hit me. If you can't fuck me, why don't you just hit me? You're so sad. You know that, Alex? Lonely and very sad. Don't you ever pity me, smug you. bastard. I'll pity you. I'll pity you because you're sick. Why? Because I won't allow you to treat me like some slut you can just bang a couple of times and throw in the garbage? Hello, and welcome to When We Were Young, the podcast that will not be ignored, Daniel. <laughs> I'm Becky, the podcast host, most likely to feel completely alienated and insulted by the movies we're covering in today's episode. (laughs) I'm Chris, your podcast host, most likely to treat you like some slut I can just bang a couple of times and throw in the garbage. (laughs) And I'm Seth, the host most likely to fuck like minx, forget the rugrats, and live happily ever after. (laughs) That sounds just like you. Right? It's our Valentine's Day episode, and we're (laughs) celebrating love at the movies with three of the most romantic movies of all time. Just kidding. (laughs) We'll be exploring not really love, but lust, obsession, and sexual harassment with the movies Fatal Attraction, Basic Instinct, and Disclosure. These three films are noteworthy for their explicit sex scenes, their brazen, sexually forward female antagonists, and Michael Douglas. (laughs) So it's not so much our Valentine's Day episode, but maybe more our femme fatale episode or our crazy bitch episode or our Michael Douglas gets it on but suffers the consequences episode. Isn't there a fourth movie where he just gets chlamydia or something? (laughs) I think that's behind Uh... the candelabra. (laughs) And also, we're not going to talk about Michael Douglas's real life in this episode. We want to make that clear from the outset. So before we get started, I wanted to know, have you guys ever seen these movies before? Were they part of your your childhoods, or did you watch them as an adult, maybe? Well, I didn't have an explicit X-rated childhood, so no. (laughs) No, these movies were not part of my childhood. They were not on... Actually? (laughs) I'm remembering seeing Fatal Attraction on a home-recorded VHS tape. I don't know. My parents would occasionally really get into certain thrillers. My dad was definitely more into, like, action thrillers, but my mom would like dramatic thrillers every once in a while. Other than, you know, maybe seeing a second or two of these thrillers on TV while my parents were watching them, the only movie in this trilogy that I saw was with you, Becky. Uh, We watched Basic Instinct one night, and I just remember it being like super fun Paul Verhoeven craziness Mm -hmm. but I never had much interest really in seeking out the other movies especially not when I was young yeah I had not seen um, any of these movies like around the time they came out or any Michael Douglas movie I realized up until The American President I think that was my introduction to him in 1995 and ever since I just haven't been able to stop thinking about him (laughs) (laughs) his piercing blue eyes (laughs) the cleft in his chin he has asked me to stop sleeping in front of his house uh but i know that we were meant to be together angrier chris you need to be angrier about it this is still the seduction phase (laughs) okay (laughs) we're in the first act becky come on (laughs) no this is the act then that michael douglas is into you yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> he grabbed him in an elevator. <laughs> there's something happening with a sink in a little bit. <laughs> We're going to call this episode There's Something About Michael Douglas, right? <laughs> Cleft romance. <laughs> I saw The Game, actually. That was the first movie of his that I saw in theaters, and I really liked that movie, which is kind of in a similar vein in that he's like, it's a thriller, and he's paranoid about things possibly happening to him. But other than that, I had seen, I think, Basic Instinct once at some point, like after film school and Fatal Attraction, I think once in film school. But otherwise, I hadn't revisited any of these and I had never seen Disclosure, although I was very, very, very aware of it because (laughs) it was by Michael Crichton, the author of Jurassic Park, and it was... One, I think it, Rising Sun and then that movie came out right after Jurassic Park, the movies of those. And they were both like too adult for me at the time. But I was like, I was tromping at the bit for some more Michael Crichton, <laughs> even though these were not probably like my cup of tea at 11. <laughs> Although, who knows? I might have loved it. You're just a fan of all Michaels. Uh, Douglas, Crichton, Jackson, J. Fox. <laughs> I feel like words are being put into my mouth right now. Keaton. <laughs> I do like Michael Keaton. I rest my case. I remember seeing Fatal Attraction maybe like on cable when I was younger because when I watched it this time, a few of the scenes at the end seemed very familiar to me. Maybe I watched it somewhat as an adult, but I don't remember when. Um, uh, What's the other one? Any other movies? Disclosure. Um, Basic Instinct. I I don't remember exactly watching you, if you Seth, but I don't think you're a liar. So I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that we watched it together. Um, again, I always bring this up for Paul Verhoeven uh, episodes, but I did a Paul Verhoeven show. We definitely had a Basic Instinct sketch in there. Um, awesome. So I may have watched it around that time that he did that show. Um, Disclosure, I thought, going into this that I had seen it and it was one of those pay-per-view movies that was like on and I must have caught some scenes of because I have a specific sex scene in my head <laughs> that I thought was from Disclosure. <laughs> it was not from Disclosure. Do you know what it was No, from? and I, I, don't have to, I have to like find it. There's um, a rogue sex scene floating in your subconscious. <laughs> is, it's definitely from a movie. And it's haunting you. Yes. <laughs> I thought it was Disclosure. It was not Disclosure. I have never seen one frame of Disclosure. Didn't know anything about Disclosure and boy was I surprised. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so No, I would just like to say that um, I think it's, you know, completely fitting that our last Valentine's Day episode was JTT, and now we're going on to MKD. <laughs> <laughs> MKD. Let's learn about MKD. Well, he's in th- all three of these movies, and people are obsessed with him for some reason, so let's learn about him. <laughs> Michael- Please tell me. Please tell me. <laughs> Michael Kirk Douglas was born September 25th, 1944. He is the firstborn son of legendary Hollywood actor Kirk Douglas, Spartacus. Um, Kirk's real name, by the way, is Isor Danielovich. Right. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting he trivia. Was, yeah. Michael studied acting in college. He acted in a few movies and TV series throughout the 70s. He produced One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which Kirk Douglas wanted to star in, but Michael convinced him that he was too old for the part, which eventually went to Jack Nicholson, who won Best Actor for the role. Michael Douglas ended up winning his first Oscar as a producer when Cuckoo's Nest won Best Picture. He was propelled to fame when he produced and starred in the 1984 romantic adventure comedy Romancing the Stone, which was also director Robert Zemeckis' first box office success. 
The film also starred Danny DeVito, who was a friend of Douglas. They were roommates in the 60s, which I thought was fun trivia. That is fun trivia. And I think it's interesting that he started kind of as a producer, because that's kind of the opposite of how a lot of actors end up producing things. He was obviously acting too, but he's not someone that is actually known as a producer. Like, I don't think he's produced anything in a while, at least. Like, he maybe, may have, like, well, maybe movies he's in. He, yeah. yeah, he's produced a lot since then. But also, it's like, people still don't know that he produced Cuckoo's Nest, and not just in the way way that you're like a producer on paper you know where you get the credit and a paycheck but you never show up he really was like the driving force along with Danny DeVito in getting that movie made that's um, right Danny DeVito was in Cuckoo's Nest so that yeah. makes sense there too yeah yeah, and I mean, like, I really urge anyone who hasn't seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest to watch it. Um, of course, Michael Douglas is not in it himself, um, but it really is a great work of film. Oh, it's amazing. It's incredible. Michael Douglas has won two Academy Awards, one for producing Cuckoo's Nest and one for Best Actor for Wall Street, which was the same year that Fatal Attraction was released. He recently won an Emmy for playing Liberace in the HBO movie Behind the Candelabra, which is also very good. It's also a tremendous fucking movie. Yeah, it's absolutely hilarious yeah. and so so well made. And Michael Douglas playing against type. Uh, we were talking about Michael play- Michael Douglas playing two type, which I think he does like 90% of the time. Yeah. And this is like one of the only roles I can think of where he's like... Completely Cuckoo. different. <laughs> Good segue. Uh, what is this type that Michael Douglas plays all the time? According to film historian and critic David Thompson, Douglas is known for playing characters who are weak, culpable, morally indolent, compromised, and greedy for illicit sensation without losing that basic probity or potential for ethical character that we require of a hero. I was about to say that. Uh, Critic and (laughs) I was going to say fuck machine or like a moral fuck machine. But he's not the one. He's it's morally ambiguous. Critic and author Rob Edelman wrote that Douglas personified the contemporary Caucasian middle to upper class American male who finds himself the brunt of female anger because of real or imagined sexual slights and every man who must contend with and be victimized these women and their raging psychotic sexuality. I thought that was pretty dead on. Yeah, well, especially the first part. He's definitely someone who plays at least middle class to like very rich people. Um, for some reason, he's very associated with, like, money. Um, there's, like, Wall Street, mm-hmm. um, the game. He's, like, a really rich guy. Yeah, nearly all of his characters are deplorable in one way or another. But they're not the worst. Correct. But generally, exactly. he's a morally ambiguous, flawed person. But then there's somebody worse that's trying yeah. to get yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just watched War of the Roses in anticipation of this. That's a movie with his romancing the Stone co-star Kathleen Turner, and it's directed by Danny DeVito. I grew up watching that movie, and that was the first time I must have seen Michael Douglas in something. I don't know what little girl Becky was into this movie for, but I explicitly <laughs> remember asking my mom to like go to the library and keep renting it for me. Like I just wanted to keep watching it. Roses. <laughs> well, I mean, what did you think now? Oh, I loved it. I, I loved really it still. love it. It's it's such a well-made movie. Be, uh, um, again, like I would urge anyone who hasn't seen Danny DeVito's movies to check them out. Yeah, They're really. Throw interesting. Mama from the Train. Throw Mama from the Train, indeed. I have not seen. I, have, I don't think I've seen any of these Michael Douglas movies. Like, I ha- well, I haven't seen Romancing the Stone, mm-hmm. and I didn't obviously see it when I was a kid. Same with War of the Roses. Like, none of these movies. Like, my yeah, Michael Douglas education started like basically with like the midnight you're more like good michael douglas Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with the american president in traffic yeah (laughs) and i I guess i've seen more like i keep saying morally ambiguous like more like skeezy (laughs) michael douglas Mm -hmm. well like chris i think like you i think the game was probably my first michael douglas movie 
I think it would have been, because I definitely didn't see War of the Roses or any of those kind of earlier movies. Um, yeah, I think I kind of saw him from his, like, second second career turn, you know, his, like, upswing into more, uh, I don't know, not respectable roles, but <laughs> maybe less depraved? Yeah, he was slightly. less, like, in these movies, he's much more of a family man. Uh, well, maybe not be sick instinct, uh, but... <laughs> In general, in this era, he was kind of like that. And then in the game, he was more of like the older kind of like, I'm just moving my hands. <laughs> I to think your indicate- hand movements are indicating fuck machine sure. is what he was. Sure. I have to say that preparing for this podcast, I've never thought about Michael Douglas more. Like, he's kind of somebody who gets slept on as far as being a a a a good actor or like he's kind of left out of the conversation. He just seems like he's kind of like there in classic Hollywood, maybe because his dad is like this legendary Hollywood actor too. But, and I know he's won Oscars, but I feel like no one ever talks about him. No one's ever like, Ooh, I can't wait to see the next Michael Douglas movie. Maybe we're just too young for that. And that was when these movies were out that people were really like into him. Um, Because when I saw behind the candelabra, which I thought was like, just an amazing movie. I just remember thinking, oh my God, I've never seen Michael Douglas act so well. Like, maybe he's just always playing this type that I'm just like, oh, that must be who he is. But mm-hmm. then I saw him play this role of Liberace and I was like, he was amazing in it. Yeah, his last Oscar nomination was Wall Street. <laughs> what? Wow. wow, really? Yeah, the one that he won. So that is super crazy because he's had at least a few respectable roles since then. Not, I think, a whole ton. He's just not in that kind of like oscar movie very often. He's almost always like contemporary, which is kind of rare and like Oscars tend to go for like more historical or like playing a real person. Yeah. Besides Liberace, I don't know if he's ever yeah, done that. Anyone for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also I think there's even for men, an age beyond which you only get cast in certain roles in certain movies, for the most part. Well, he's 74 years old now. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. But I about. agree with you, Becky. Like, I do think he is kind of uh, slept on both in terms of what he gets cast in now, which are mostly, I think, kind of romantic comedies, but also like the, the Kaminsky method. He has that. Oh yeah. He just won for that too. Yeah. Yeah. I guess people are still appreciating yeah. his talent. Well, and it's like, a, I, I <laughs> but think... we also forgot about that. It <laughs> yeah. happened like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's okay. He's really good in it, but the, sh- like the sh- series itself is only really okay in my mind. So like, he's still acting, but I, again, I don't think he's appreciated as much for the performances he's given because I think he inhabits those characters so fully and expressively that in people's minds, like, like I think he did get kind of typecast permanently mm-hmm. as a certain type of character. Um, and again, I think he got typecast as a certain type of character that any actor would age out of mm-hmm. past a certain point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Wonder Boys is the only role other than Liberace that I can think of that really feels like more of a performance from him and more and like just a different type of person. Whereas every other thing that I'm thinking of just feels like Michael Douglas. He's like smarmy. Yeah. Got got money. Loosh. I've used that word (laughs) previously on this podcast, but it so applies. Well, let's find out why Glenn Close thought he was so loosh in Fatal Attraction. What's the problem? Jesus Christ, I mean, let's be reasonable. Be reasonable. (laughs) What? Thank you, goodbye, don't call me, I'll call you. Look, you knew about me, all right? I didn't hide anything. I thought it was understood. 
What was understood? The opportunity was there and we took it. Come on now, we're, uh, we are adults, aren't What's we? What's that supposed to mean? I thought we'd have a good time. No, you didn't. You thought you'd have a good time. You didn't stop for a second to think about me. That's crazy. You knew the rules, Alex. What rules? Look, Alex. I like you. And if I wasn't with somebody else, then maybe I'd be with you. But I am. Please don't justify yourself as pathetic. If you'd tell me to fuck off, I'd have more respect for you. All right, then fuck off. And you get out! Fatal Attraction was released September 18th, 1987. It had a budget of $14 million. The box office was $156 million domestic, $320 wow. million worldwide. It spent eight weeks at number one. It's the number one highest earning erotic thriller of all time. And it was the second highest grossing movie of 1987. Can you guess what was number one in 1987? You can't. <laughs> I would be very surprised if you could guess. Wall Street. No, I'm just kidding. Caddyshack. <laughs> it was Three Men and a Baby. What? Oh, okay. <laughs> three Men. That's a neurotic thriller, right? <laughs> and a fucking baby. <laughs> In a certain light. <laughs> you freak. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fatal Attraction stars Michael Douglas, Glenn Close, and Ann Archer. It was directed by Adrian Lynn. Um, he also directed Nine and a Half Weeks, Unfaithful, Flashdance, and Indecent Proposal. So he's got a whole thing about erotic movies <laughs> he has been married since 1974 but if i were his wife i would be concerned i'm just saying i don't know maybe that's how he gets his yayas out true yeah that's true written by james dearden um the movie was nominated for six oscars best picture best director best actress for glenn close best supporting actress for uh ann archer best adapted screenplay and best editing i'm assuming it didn't get best actor because he was nominated for wall street and won the same year yeah. Um, pause. Is Adrian Lynn still alive? Yes. And his name is Line, by the way. Line? Oh, oh really? Yes. Okay. I heard him okay. say it himself today. So oh, okay. I just ran into him. At <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Starbucks? Fatal Attraction, a basic plot is that Michael Douglas is a happily married man. He has a, a, a young daughter, and his wife and daughter go away for the weekend, and he ends up having. A pretty um, torrid torrid affair with Glenn Close, <laughs> who works kind of in the same. I don't know if they work in the same company, but they work like they're. He's a lawyer and she's like an editor, but they're working on like a project together. Right. So they met at some like work function, and they have a week weekend long affair. It seems to go, you know, pretty casually at first, but then uh, Glenn Close's character gets obsessed, and it goes downhill quickly from there. <laughs> One could even say it's fatal. I guess we'll find out. Producers Sherry Lansing and Stanley Jeff both had serious doubts about casting Glenn Close in the role of Alex because they didn't think she could be sexual enough for the role, but she auditioned and blew them away. She actually didn't think she would get it. She didn't think she did that well, but the, produ the producer said during the audition that she had an extraordinary erotic transformation that took place. She was this tragic, bewildering mix of sexuality and rage. Yeah, actually, there's footage on the Blu-ray that I bought for the purposes of this podcast that has, like, their first time meeting together where they do a reading together in character, and it's, like, it's super interesting. Like, she plays the character slightly differently. Like, she's a little bit, like, less crazy, I guess, a little <laughs> bit. But it's still really interesting to see her, like, already kind of, like, nailing the role oh, in great. that. Like, without even, you know, having gone through the whole process of, like, costuming and all that. Like, she kind of came in with, like, the big wild hair and and all that. To prepare for her role, Glenn Close consulted several psychologists, hoping to understand hmm. Alex's psyche and her motivations. 
Um, she was initially uncomfortable with the famous bunny boiling scene that I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, she thought it was too extreme, but um, the psychologist that she consulted said that such an action was entirely possible and that the behavior of her character in the movie corresponded to someone who had experienced incestual sexual abuse as a child. So there was some sort of um, groundwork there. It wasn't just like, I'm a crazy person. So that's why she agreed to all the crazy things that Alex does in this movie. Seemingly crazy, I guess I should say. She was very crazy. We we don't need to qualify that. They're crazy. Okay. All right. Yeah. She was very protective of Alex. She said, I never thought of her as a villain. I wasn't playing a generality. I wasn't playing a cliche. I was playing a very specific, deeply disturbed, fragile human being whom I had grown to love. I thought that was... Interesting. Like, I don't think actors should probably think that their character is one note villain. You should probably think of them as a real human being. And I think that showed in her performance. Yeah, because Alex has a motivation. Like, she doesn't think she's the villain of that story. So if you're playing them, you also should not think that. Like, you should find a way to justify it to yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, like, not to jump too much into what we think about this movie, but I I think it's clear that this is a movie that completely hinges on Glenn Close's performance as that character, you know, in, in every single way. And it's like, it's so clear, even not knowing that background information, that she did that background work work Mm -hmm. um, because it's the only way that she could have inhabited that performance the way that she does in this movie yeah for sure the film had its controversies some feminists did not appreciate what they felt was the depiction of a strong career woman who is at the same time psychopathic fatal attraction has a 67 on metacritic which is good but maybe not as good as you'd expect considering it was nominated for like six super legit oscars including Mm -hmm. best picture on the positive side dustin howe of the washington post said fatal attraction rings the charges on your atavistic emotions walking out of the theater you might have a sudden desire to club a woolly mammoth and hide your family in a dark cave away from people like glenn close well, that's a weird what review. What the fuck? <laughs> Did this guy write this review on mushrooms? <laughs> He's having a caveman vision? What is he happening? He had a very strong reaction. A very a visceral, primal, primal yeah, reaction. A, almost like a basic instinct. <laughs> Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago Reader said, while billed as a romance and a thriller, the film strictly qualifies as neither, appealing to our prurience, guilt, hatred, and dread. That, I feel like, does kind of sum up two reactions to the film that I heard about it having a lot, like, in doing research for this, was the one that it's this very, like, kind of primal reaction that men have against, like, a crazy bitch. And that she became such a symbol for, like, better not cheat, you know, like... like it's almost like a cautionary like a- tale for the average man, if you cheat, this is what might happen to you. Right, and instead of, like, that first review is, like, hide your family away from this woman, not, like... Don't cheat. Yeah, like, don't be a douchebag. It's like, oh, you need to watch out for the woman, not because, like, it's your actions might cause something that she's going to do. It's that, you know, like, she's crazy and and she'll go after you. She'll get you. It's also not don't cheat because you will... Uh, hurt your family and the ones you love it's because you might get murdered mm-hmm. <laughs> or your family might get murdered you know what I mean it's, yeah. a, it's just a very selfish thing rather than I shouldn't do this because I'll hurt people like emotionally yeah and the negative review is kind of what some of the backlash was was just that people took it as too simple a morality tale or a little too lurid to be credible 
What did you guys think of Fatal Attraction? Again, no, I mean, it, it is lurid. I, I, I don't think it's trying to tell a universal story about women. I think, again, it succeeds, but almost entirely on the shoulders of Glenn Close. I think in this movie, Michael character, uh, Michael Douglas's character is really kind of a dum-dum. <laughs> Um, who does really not take into account the emotions or well-being or dignity of anyone else but himself. But I found Glenn Close's performance and character so visceral and alive that I kind of bought into it. Now, I do think her turn uh, into flippo crazy bananas... Uh, Bunny uh, boiler? Yeah, yeah, yeah is really abrupt and happens very soon and quickly. Oh, even before the bunny boil. Oh, so, like, okay. it happens in the first act. Mm-hmm. There's literally, like, this this moment where she's lying in bed, and the gist of it is Michael Douglas's character says he, like, can't spend time with her in some particular way. And she's like, if you told me to fuck off, I'd have more respect for you. And Michael, Douglas respo- Michael Douglas's character responds, all right, then fuck off. Um, and it's... It's such a quick uh, flip um, that, I don't know, especially when I was watching it the first time, I I wondered how much it could escalate from there. Uh, And of course, it escalates quite quickly and very far. Um, Are you saying that's a criticism or that's um, like a It's a a qualified criticism. I found the movie to work, especially when it gets to that moment that we'll get to. But I do think that the switch kind of flips very abruptly and soon. And I thought there could have been a more gradual progression into that. I actually thought it was both abrupt and slow. <laughs> I, that <laughs> Abruptly slow. It doesn't, that's, it doesn't seem to make sense. But I actually thought in real life people are like that. Like once you've had sex or the honeymoon part is over that people do switch on a dime. But also I thought that, well, I'll just get to what I thought was this movie made me deeply uncomfortable in a good way. I thought thought this movie was fantastic. Yeah. I think it's really disturbing, but it made me very uncomfortable because of Glenn Close's performance. Yeah. The scene in particular that made me really uncomfortable was there's several times where she was like totally into Michael Douglas. Then he's like, Oh, I have to like, you know, leave (laughs) understandably to like go to work or go back home and she gets upset and then immediately she's like back to being loving and then he keeps being like okay fuck off and then she like throws him out of her apartment and then she keeps coming back and being like oh but this thing and this thing and it's the scene where she visits him at his office and she kind of lays it all out this is after her like suicide attempt in front of him and she's like i'm sorry about what happened and would you like to go to the opera with me And he's like, very delicately, he was like, you know, we had what we had and it was really nice, but he's basically letting her down as easy as possible. May I ask you one more favor? What's that? I've got two tickets to Madame Butterfly. Two weeks from Thursday. I'd really love it if you'd come with me, kind of as a peace offering. Well, that's, uh, that's very nice of you. But I don't think it's a good idea. No strings attached. Alex? I know you don't have to explain. I, I just thought I'd ask. So, um... I'll see you around sometime. 
And it was one of those scenes where you're like, this scene is coming too soon in the movie. Like, mm-hmm. like there's so much more to go. And she seems to be taking it very well. But you like, <laughs> but you know that she's not, you know what I mean? Like, yes. it was just like, wow, like if, if she was a normal person, that would have been a, a, a meaningful of closure. Mm-hmm. Like we had what we had and I'm not being a dick and I'm letting you down nicely. And I have a family and we had fun and I care about you. And I took care of you this weekend when you tried to kill yourself in front of me. And the fact that he just seemed like a normal person and she seemed like a normal person, like gave me such anxiety because I was like, Oh, this is any normal person would just end it there. But there's so much more movie left. <laughs> but it just made me uncomfortable. I mean, we'll get into specifics, but I just, I really liked this movie. I thought that it was just really well done. I can see why it was nominated for so many Oscars. I liked it a lot. Chris? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair I enough. agree with everything you said, and I also disagree. Uh, no. I went into this whole genre of movies, like, very interested because, especially, like, in the last year plus, we've had the whole Me Too movement, And people have really took a hard look at the way women are treated in workplaces, in relationships, in society in general. And there's so much more awareness of how certain behaviors have been problematic. And a lot of these were behaviors uh, from the 80s and 90s. So I was really curious to see like how these movies would play now like because they all have a white guy as the victim against a crazy woman and i think they're all actually really different and very much like warrant their own discussions a piece like on Mm -hmm. how how successful they are and how maybe problematic it is that the male character is the victim. This is definitely the most realistic. I don't think I'm going out on a (laughs) limb saying that. Uh, And obviously the most respectable. Basic Instinct being kind of, like, known as a, like, precursor to Showgirls in a way, and just a campy thriller. Um, And Disclosure, kind of forgotten, I would say, for the most Mm -hmm. part. Like, it's kind of, like, people know the poster, I feel like, and that's it. Yes. Yes. But But this is a movie that was... Yeah, like, (laughs) nominated for a bunch of awards. Like, I think it's one of Glenn Close's most celebrated performances. You know, she's up for an Oscar this year and might win. And I think one of the reasons is that she didn't win for this movie. Mm -hmm. Because she has an iconic performance and yet has not won an Oscar. I was wondering, like, would this movie play, like, where it's actually, like, we're really sympathetic toward her and that we really are actually kind of seeing him as the villain in a way. And, like, if, like, recontextualizing it through, like, the Me Too era would be like, oh, actually, like, everything he's doing is wrong and actually leading her to act this way. But in the 80s, we were thinking that it was her who was crazy. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you how I saw it. I thought that actually he does not lead her on. He doesn't lie to her. He doesn't pick her up at the work function. Maybe he, like, flirts a little. That's Mm -hmm. harmless. But he doesn't ever say, I'm not married. Right. She's the one that's like, oh, it's raining. Come get a drink with me because it's pouring out after like a work meeting. Yeah. She's the one that brings up let's have an affair, basically, which I actually thought was a really great scene. It seemed like a, an actual scene of p- two people deciding to have an affair, which is not something you actually see in movies realistically played out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I really like that scene. Uh, well, I tell you, it's, uh, you want one? No, thank you. It's funny being a lawyer, you know, it's like being a doctor. Everybody's telling you their innermost secrets. Oh, you have to be discreet. Oh, God, yeah. Are you? 
Yeah, my word. Disagree. Yes, I'm discreet. Me too. She's the one that brings it up. And I mean, I don't think he should have cheated on his, you know, but that's between him and his relationship. It didn't seem like he had any problems with his wife and, you know, his his suburban family life. It kind of just seemed like, well, this woman is throwing herself at me. My wife isn't around this weekend. Like, maybe why not? Like, what how about, What could go wrong? Yeah, I, I think, Becky, I think what you're the essential part of what you're hitting on is he's communicative with, and open with her. Like, the, there is completely honest communication about the fact that he has a family, that he's not going to break up his family, all of that. And he's dishonest to his own wife. Yes. Um, but he's not really dishonest with her in any way. No. That's, yeah, that's what I'm kind of getting at, is that I was kind of hoping this would be more of a... Like, because he's kind of... He does cheat, but, like, he's in every other way kind of absolved of any guilt that he, like, really mistreated this woman. And yeah, <laughs> so I, I kind of wanted this to be a little bit more of a, like, oh, he's kind of shitty and, like, look but like, I don't, what happens. See, but what I'm hanging up on is I don't get how this is a Me Too critique of that. I think that's your individual response to the movie and, like, what you were expecting going into it. But I don't know how that kind of connects to the Me Too, like, I think that's conversation. Why, that's why this feels like kind of like a horror movie, because if he was worse, if he was a dick to her, if he pursued her, it would kind of be like you're getting your comeuppance. Mm-hmm. But he didn't, the only thing he did wrong was he had sex with his somebody who wasn't his wife. And what she then does after that is so far beyond what would be comparable like for, for just right. cheating on your wife like if he was more of a dick then you'd be like well he deserves it look what happens when you're a dick or when you chase after women i think it's right i think there's kind of almost a fairy tale aspect to like a cautionary tale definitely very much so like it's exactly describes what this movie is um and i think it only works again because the the monster in this fairy tale is so fully realized yeah, I mean, I agree. I don't think that this is a particularly, like, Me Too movie. That's what. That's why I was kind of thrown off watching it, because I was expecting, you know, to have his behavior be a little more problematic and to sympathize with her a little bit more. Mm. Instead, mm. she is okay. pretty, like, clearly bonkers. I think that Glenn Close's performance is really great, and she does so much for this character that could have been Demi Moore in Disclosure <laughs> or, you know, uh, any number of yeah. other crazy bitches in movies, um, which usually are not super layered. This character is haunting in a way, and and she's not, like, unsympathetic. But I also didn't feel like this movie really developed her character. Like, I felt like she kind of just materialized out of nowhere and had no, like, past or anything. And I wanted to know, like, how has this woman not already been shot in the heart five times? <laughs> Um, I already, like... Again, like, I think part of what Glenn Close nails so much in this performance is that kind of manic energy and magnetism that people who are, you know, very, very messed up, and in a lot of cases, otherwise not fully functional human beings, uh, can manifest, like, at will. You know, so I, I... In a sense, I agree with you, Chris, because I, I do think there's... You know, the the movie does not spend its time building everything that's happened to her before this moment, but I think the movie perfectly uh, 
realizes who she is in this moment and depicts it in a way that, especially in none of these other movies, come even close to. I totally did not need more information. I thought that the movie provided everything I needed to know about her past and what I got from maybe the little bits of exposition we got from her or just her reacting to Michael Douglas. I totally got the sense that she's been mistreated by men over and over and over. Maybe they just use her for sex and they're dicks. And Michael Douglas is actually kind of a nice guy. And he, you know, she calls and says, oh, let me hang out with you. Like, bring the dog. Like, and she, he actually gives her this taste of a family life and this like fantasy life uh, that she does not have. And it made me feel like because he is a nice person, he's, she feels more let on and she feels even worse when he tries to leave. And the fact that she tried to kill herself in front of him, or at least like attempt suicide by cutting her wrists. And he helped her brought her, you know, wrapped up her wrists. And he actually is, because he's a nice guy and, and helping her and letting her down gently, but still letting her down. Like she, he's not just like, fuck off. Like I feel like that is the breaking point for somebody who's been through so many bad men. And she finally finds somebody who almost that she thinks that she's in love with him because he treats her better than other men have. Yeah. To me, it's kind of like there are two directions that relationship would go. And it, feels to me like it kind of goes down the middle instead of either she's kind of like already super crazy and this is sort of like an MO that she's done with other guys and this is like playing out as like maybe it has in the past for her as well you know to a different degree or like something that they have is so special that it kind of like triggers her to be extra crazy than she's ever been but to me I don't know I didn't see like enough of like her really feeling like he was special in some way or it being different like I just wanted more from her to like maybe you know she says something like oh I've never felt like this about someone before or something like that like to me she seemed so like on board for like a weekend affair that like when he ends up like dumping her it's not a huge surprise like that kind of seems like she was what she was going for like she didn't seem to think that he was ever going to leave his wife for her so I just like I don't know I just needed more of like her psychology and like what she was really expecting out of this and instead I think it's just like she's crazy again I think you want this movie to have been just from her internal point of view about her world and about her approach and beliefs about how she's acting and i respect that and i would be very interested to watch that movie but this is just not that movie and i think this movie still succeeds though it is not that movie i just feel like maybe because i've been there but like i can tell sometimes women throw themselves at men because they think well they wouldn't really like me but i have sex to offer <laughs> do you know what i mean like that's why she was so into like let's have an affair let's have an affair it just seemed like she was so lonely when he goes the first time and goes home and she calls him and is like what are you doing like come back like or like you left before i i woke up and come back and bring the dog and like mm -hmm. it just she just felt so lonely to me that again i didn't feel like she needed to say like you know i had a fiance and he broke my heart or this happened to me like i just i totally got it from her performance and, and the dialogue that this is such a lonely person who like just wants to have this like suburban family life and doesn't and like the production design of her apartment i felt was really interesting that it was so spare it was completely white she was wearing white in it everything was white i think even something that isn't normally white i can't remember what it was but it was like 
her apartment is just completely bare. There's nothing on the walls. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no decorations. Empty. It's empty. It's completely empty. And it, it, that really, that spoke uh, about the character to me too. Yeah. I mean, I can get that. It's just, I, it also left me kind of with nothing. I was like, who is she? Like, like again, like she just like kind of sprang up out of nowhere in a bare white apartment. Like I, I just wanted some sense that she had been somewhere before she meets Michael Douglas. And here, if I don't know, to me, it She's just feels like. She's a career woman. Like she has a job. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. We don't learn anything about it though. Or like, I just wanted to see like, how, how is she at work? Like, you we, know, and not, we did see her at work. Kind of. But, like, how do people, like, relate to her? Like, is she someone that people like or are kind of worried about? Like, is she... I definitely didn't want, like, a backstory. Like, this is why she's like this. And I didn't want, like, it to be the Alex Forrest movie. But I just wanted a little bit more of a taste of, like, how other people experience her to, like, make how she's reacting with Michael Douglas, like, either, like, is this super out of character for her, or is this, like, kind of her M.O. with people? And I just don't think we see enough of her, like, in the real world or in just, like, how she behaves in everyday situations to know that, like, this is kind of out of the box for her. Well, to me, I feel like we're from Michael Douglas's point of view, mostly. Um, So that's why we don't see her. But also she seems really lonely and maybe nobody does know her very well. So they, you know, that's why she wouldn't have interactions with other people. Yeah. It's, I guess it's just the juxtaposition of like, obviously this is a story that was written from like the white male point of view and meant to be kind of like that cautionary tale Mm -hmm. like we've been talking about. And I think maybe the fact that Glenn Close is so, such an interesting performer almost works against that in that like, I'm like, actually, I think, She's just so much more interesting, and I just want more of her. Yeah, I'm just, like, a little bit less interested in kind of his angle of things, and his his domestic life is kind of boring. Like, I'm not that into him and his wife or anything there. Like, it's just, it's very normal. It's very fine. But I don't know. I'm just, like, so much more interested when she's on screen, which, unfortunately for me, is just, like, when she's kind of doing villainous things. Hmm. Speaking of his wife, I wanted to highlight her. Uh, she's played by the very good Anne Archer who is also in Robert Altman's Shortcuts. Uh, She's in Clear and Present Danger, and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Who is she on that? She's Dennis's mom. Well, she was nominated for an Oscar for this role. I understand why um, she plays that role, I think, very well. And, and I do think it is like a simple thing, like the domestic suburban housewife or whatever. But the way that learning about his infidelity like impacts her, I think is really good. I think it's really well done. And I did kind of buy the trajectory of their relationship in the movie, you know, where they were like feeling in some ways maybe kind of distant or kind of maybe stuck in the patterns of their partnership together and the like circumstances and tumult of of this whirlwind kind of running through their lives ends up bringing them back together again and again i it's that situation where like chris i do i do think maybe like a version that did focus more of its time showing how other characters in this world related to her would give more of a context for it but i don't necessarily think it would have made the emotional beats of this story hit any harder and i think it's a good time for us to talk about the rabbit scene (laughs) that really for me was the thing that like nailed it on the head of i i like really enjoyed this movie this movie absolutely (laughs) got no this movie i'm calling peter this movie got me did you know it was coming i had no idea it was coming i had never heard of the rabbit scene what i'd never heard of it before what it's uh i mean it's like the bunny boiler is a term that has been coined by this movie i have never heard that oh my god this is like 
the sixth sense, like oh yeah, psycho or something. Like, yeah. yeah, and I was very glad that I it oh, had wow. not been spoiled. So for how me. Would, how did you react? It fucking got me. <laughs> that scene was like holy shit. I had an actual like yelling out holy shit. Um, Good. <laughs> yeah, no, it absolutely worked. Um, for me, it's like the opposite because I knew that was coming, and I'd also seen the movie before, but. There's so many scenes where they're like talking about the rabbit before, yeah, and you're like, and like "Ooh, the rabbit!" Setting up the rabbit, like, "Oh, checking in with the rabbit!" <laughs> like, "Oh, there's the rabbit!" <laughs> it's just like so obvious once you know. But I'm glad that you had that experience yeah. of of being yeah. surprised by it. That's and awesome. I, I like that. I know that prompted him to tell his wife the truth, but I like that he did tell her the truth eventually, and it wasn't like somebody sent a letter in the mail. I mean, she kept threatening to, which was also interesting because at some point she's like, all it takes is a phone call, and she, uh, Alex picks up the phone to like call his wife, but doesn't because she knows that once she does that, it's over. Yeah, she because, loses all the power she has. Right. So. And that's also kind of what makes her like flip out even crazier when she finds out that she the wife does know and he yeah. actually told her like then she's like uh oh now I have to like raise it to I think that's before the bunny boil right and then yeah. Yeah. she raises it to bunny boil and then she kidnaps the kid yeah yeah, yeah. So that's but yeah she's d- taking it to that next level Oof. um yeah I did think that their relationship was believable and that both characters came off well like the wife had a little bit more to do than like the average wife in a in a story like this yeah um, She's the one that saves the day at the end. That's true. Which is interesting. I can see what critics of this movie kind of don't like about like the overall message, while also I don't feel like this movie has to stand in for like all wives and all career women. All wives all- matter. <laughs> <laughs> like shooting your husband's mistress and then like now now we've solved our problems. Like not the fact yeah. that like he cheated, like it's it's like yay, like, right. she's gone. The, this the, movie, wi- the witch is dead, you know. We have to be clear, this movie is not advocating that everyone shoot their mistresses. <laughs> that was not the original ending. The original ending was a lot more sour. <laughs> I think it still happens that she kidnaps the kid, brings the kid back home, and she goes back to her place and then police arrive at Michael Douglas's house and say that she's dead and that because he goes over there to be like, you kidnapped my kid and he has the knife and he's... He's basically he, going to straight up murder her for yeah, most but he, of that scene. But he doesn't. Puts yeah. the knife down and leaves. Then later, the police show up, and they're like, she's dead. We got your prints on on the knife. And they take him into custody or whatever. And then I think that, like, the wife finds the tape that Alex gave him saying, like, I don't know what I'll do next. I'll, I'll just kill myself. And the, and the wife brings the tape to the police. And then we, it ends with a flashback to Alex's apartment, and she's literally taking the knife and slitting her throat. <laughs> like, you see it. Yeah. Um, and that's Very the slowly, by the way. Very which I feel slowly. Like would maybe not logistically work very well, but... Yeah, very slowly. Um... <laughs> The it didn't test well. They they wanted something more why. exciting. <laughs> um, Glenn Close was very opposed to changing the ending, um, but at some point she lost that. <laughs> you know yeah. the studio one, and they refilmed it. I have to say, like it, you can go on YouTube and watch the original ending. I get that it's very like oh the villain has come back to life like in the reshot theatrical ending, but I think it works as far as like an exciting end. To, you know you think the, the current new, ending, the current, yeah. the current ending. I think works. I I like it. I think that the reason that we saw scenes of her with Michael Douglas and the dog, and then she kidnaps the kid. Like she wants this family life, so of course she would come back and be like, "What are you doing in my house? This is my house." Like she's completely delusional. She thinks that she's his wife, or because that's what she wants so badly to be is like have that home life and that security. 
Yeah, I totally agree that the ending as is is better just because it's... I don't know if the movie would be a classic without other ending. Yeah. Like, maybe Yeah, I not. think it's I think it's like a classic horror movie, really. Yeah. Like, that's kind of how I saw it, especially now. And I watched everyone involved in the production of this, like, talking about the decision to change that scene. And Glenn Close, you know, being very, very opposed. And I want to say it was Michael Douglas said that, like eventually Glenn Close realized that like what's best for your character is not always best for the movie. And I think that's totally true, is that it's a more interesting ending for the character of Alex to do it that way, and that it's a, kind of a more tragic story, and it almost speaks more to like the movie I was looking for in a way. While at the same time, I don't actually think it's the best ending for this movie. Like When you watch it, it just doesn't play the same as mm-hmm. like the fun ending that you, that you yeah. get. Yeah, it's not it's- fun to just see him be trailed off in a in a police car and then the wife with a tape like yeah. you want that confrontation of the of her meeting the wife and a, a final showdown mm-hmm. and also isn't there like a madam butterfly reference doesn't madam butterfly end with a suicide yeah or, I think, yeah I think so. and that's, yeah. A, that's the music that's playing right. in, when she does it so yeah one thing i want to shout out is cameos by jane krakowski yeah that was jane krakowski wasn't it yeah i was so happy okay i'm and Lois Smith, aka and Lois Smith, yes, yes. Oh, that's who that was. Okay, so she. I wrote down Michael Douglas's secretary is the woman in Minority Report. <laughs> yes, but also much more importantly, she is Aunt Meg. She's Aunt Meg. She's also in Falling Down, which I also watched this week. Mm. Um, there's also uh, Fred Gwynn from The Monsters plays his boss. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> you, look, you look at that guy and you're like, oh yeah, no, he was definitely in The Monsters. Well, let's move on to Basic Instinct. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll say that more. Um, let's move on to Basic Instincts. Close your legs. <laughs> Did you kill Mr. Boz, Mr. Mel? I'd have to be pretty stupid to write a book about killing and then kill somebody the way I described it in my book. I'd be announcing myself as the killer. But the answer is no. I didn't kill him. Do you use drugs, Mr. Mel? Sometimes. What kind of drugs? Cocaine. Have you ever fucked on cocaine, Nick? It's nice. All right, Basic Instinct. It was released March 20th, 1992. The budget was $49 million. The box office was $117 million domestic. Worldwide, $352 million. Jeez. It was the number two highest earning erotic thriller of all time, right behind Fatal Attraction. The movie stars Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone. It is directed by Paul Verhoeven of Showgirls fame. And oh boy, is it. And written by Joe Esterhouse of Showgirls fame. <laughs> I believe that the word you're searching for is infamy. Yeah, Showgirls fame is an oxymoron. <laughs> the movie won Best Best Female Performance and Most Desirable Female at the MTV Movie Awards. <laughs> That's an award? <laughs> Did they do that just for this year? <laughs> no <laughs> part of that holds up. <laughs> it was also nominated for three Razzies. The list of women who rejected the role of Catherine Trammell, which is the Sharon Stone character, Kim Basinger, Julia Roberts, Meg Ryan, Michelle Pfeiffer, Gina Davis, Kathleen Turner, and Ellen Barkin. <laughs> So, all women. All women that were alive Everyone. and of age in 1992. It eventually went to Sharon Stone, who was basically unknown at the time. She was very known <laughs> She was basic her. at the time. Was she instinctually unknown as well? <laughs> yes. 
The screenplay for this movie had a bidding war. Esther House was paid $3 million for the script, and he had written the script in 13 days. God. I don't know how much that breaks to per day writing the script, but too much. A little too much. Yeah. Too much. 12 days of Coke, one day of writing. <laughs> I think tw- I just broke it down. <laughs> it took 12 Pretty days sure. of cocaine in a hotel room to be like, yes. I got it! <laughs> yes, literally. That was his process. All writers have different processes. So, there's a famous scene in this movie. <laughs> oh, is there? And I'm sure we're going to talk about it, but I want a, a little background. There is a scene in which uh, Sharon Stone's vagina... <laughs> Labia, labia, uh, is exposed on camera Absolutely. as she crosses her legs during an interrogation I'm pretty sure scene. I saw a clitoris in there too. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have the, the Blu-ray? <laughs> yep. Um, so her uterus is fully exposed. It wasn't originally supposed to be like that. Um, she was wearing white underwear at the time. Uh, Verhoeven came up to her and said that the white underwear was reflecting light off the camera lens. A likely story. And asked her to (laughs) take... Fucking nasty ass. (laughs) Asked her to take off her underwear, assuring her that only the shadow would be visible. Um, She did not know that her labia was seen on camera until um, a screening room with a test audience. She went up to Verhoeven and slapped him and left the screening. Um... Verhoeven denies this, says that she was completely aware, but I tend to believe the person who was very upset that her labia was there for all to see in, a, one, in the scene of the movie. What is the plot of this movie? Um, there is a man who is killed, and we don't know by who. We know it's a woman. Can, can we just be explicit? The, this movie begins with immediate fucking. Immediate, mirror-sealing fucking. First shot, first Rock scene. Rockstar hair in the face. <laughs> Satin sheets fucking. Oh my god, this movie. Um, yeah, it's Bed Bath & Beyond. He's having sex with someone, a woman, gets killed by an ice pick. As it turns out, there is an author named Catherine Trammell who wrote a book where somebody dies in the exact same way, and she knows the victim. So Michael Douglas is a uh, detective, police officer, detective. Mm -hmm. Um, And he has to figure out, did she do this crime that she wrote about in this book? Or is there a copycat killer out there who read the book and is doing it? Or is it a coincidence? And it goes off the wire from there. (laughs) During principal photography of this movie, the film was protested by gay rights activists who felt that the film followed a pattern of negative depiction of homosexuals in film because Sharon Stone's character is bisexual. Gay rights activists protested the movie during the premiere. Others picketed theaters with uh, spoilers on signs so that people would not see it. Yeah, the group of LGBT activists was called Catherine Did It. (laughs) (laughs) But did she? (laughs) I still am not really sure. (laughs) This movie has a 41 on Metacritic, which is not as strong as Fatal Attraction. So reviews were kind of negative, not super negative, but on the negative side. Peter Travers in Rolling Stone was a positive review. He said, The film is for horny pups of all ages who relish the memory of reading stroke books under the covers with a flashlight. Verhoeven has spent $49 million to reproduce that dirty little thrill on the big screen. On the uh, more critical end is Rita Kempley of the Washington Post. <laughs> Back on the Rita beat! <laughs> Why do we like Rita Kempley so much? I need some backs. I need some because context. She's, 
<laughs> she just has a way with words. Okay. Also, she's always there. She was with us the whole time, and we just didn't appreciate it until now. We are eagerly anticipating our Rita Kempley episode. She says, when Pretty Push comes to Sweaty Shove, this sleekly made skin flick is an extended Hustler magazine fantasy whose heroine isn't a little butch. She's metaphorically male. The she-thing at the heart of this pulp romp isn't a woman, but a drag queen. Nothing against drag queens. We have nothing against me. I don't know what. This has just become an in-joke. I don't even know. what the Yes. <laughs> Stop fighting it, Becky. Well, because sometimes we, like, vehemently disagree with her and think she's bonkers. And other times she just nails it. We <laughs> contains multitudes, Becky. Give she, her she's very, like, black and white. It's either she loves it or she hates it. So what was her? <laughs> she likes it or she hates it. She felt that Sharon Stone was a drag queen. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> Nothing against drag queen. We saw her vulva. <laughs> Did she, though? <laughs> that was a stunt vulva. All right, so that was uh, Rita Kempley. <laughs> what did you guys think of Basic Instinct? It's campy. It, <laughs> it's fine. It's very Hitchcockian, uh, very knowingly really Hitchcockian. Really trying to be Hitchcockian. Yeah. Very <laughs> visually referencing, especially uh, Vertigo with the blonde femme fatale, like wearing white and the setting is in San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, this movie is by Paul Verhoeven and Joe Esterhaz. It might as well just have written by Joe Esterhaz like on screen at the bottom of every scene because there are just like really crazy juicy lines of dialogue that (laughs) are obviously like screenwriterly lines. Some of them better than others. Some of them are bonkers. Um, (laughs) It's very pulpy. It's very guilty pleasure-ish. It's dirty. It's, it's what you expect. <laughs> I feel like yeah. it, it is exactly what I expected, even though I had not seen it in so long. And remembered very few actual details of the movie. I didn't remember how it ended. Like, I knew the basic idea of the ending, but I, I had actually c- completely forgotten Gene Triplehorn's character at all. So I didn't remember those kind of plot beats. I just remembered sort of the Sharon Stone character and that whole trajectory. But watching it, I was not surprised by pretty much anything. <laughs> I, it, it was the movie that I was promised. Yeah, I, I think this movie follows through on all its basic promises and instincts. <laughs> Sharon Stone, it's not clear to me how much character work or background research or anything she does, but she brings her own craziness to this movie. She really hasn't had a role after this, I think, that she's anywhere near as known for. Uh, Or before. Or before. Like, let's just be clear. This yeah, is let's, be very, let's be <laughs> very movie. clear. I think this was her command performance. But I think she invests it with a kind of slow-burning crazy that keeps it compelling um it is a super pulpy movie i as i've said many times before i adore paul verhoeven and joe esterhaus especially when they're working together and i like the pulpy very overtly on the nose noir film kind of aspects and imagery in this I thought Michael Douglas was really interesting. He's completely perfectly aware of the degree to which he's like a fucked up cop who may or may not be corrupt in some way and like feels guilt for having killed innocent people at some point in his career and is suffered and been an alcoholic and especially like watching it a couple times in preparation for this it's a very rambling movie but it is just so entertaining to me. I don't think it's great or even very good. 
as a film overall. And I don't think it's nearly as successful a thriller as Fatal Attraction is. But I think it's a fun, pulpy detective movie. I feel like this movie is baby showgirls. I think it is. I think I it's have a to j- know that this is like the first draft of Showgirls. Oh, where yeah. He's like, uh, this no, is how can play. I make this even worse? Yeah, I had seen this before, but it had been a while. I remember it being bonkers, but I forgot the specifics of why it's bonkers. <laughs> I watched it with my husband, and it took even a long time for him to, do, to watch Showgirls with me and enjoy it. But like, we're watching the first scene with the ice pick and the murder, and he started hysterically laughing. <laughs> and I was like, yes, this is <laughs> what oh, yeah. this movie is. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's not. Not a good movie, but it is super fun to watch and like really campy, really cheesy. How much of that is knowingly? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's something to think about. I mean, I think that this is definitely more knowingly campy than Showgirls is. Like, Showgirls, I mean, we talked a lot about that, but it... Do you want to talk more about it? Because I'll talk about Showgirls any day of the week. (laughs) Showgirls part two. Just in comparison is that this movie isn't embarrassing in that way. Like, there are awkward things and things that are, like, super corny and just, like, bad decisions. And yet... Like, something about the structure of this movie or just, like, the overall, like, approach to genre makes it clear that this is, like, a throwback to noir and to Hitchcock. And, like, you're never really, like, meant to be taking anything very seriously, I don't think. Oh, yeah. And I think even, like, the music, which is uh, part part of my favorite part of the experience of watching all these movies was the insane music choices. But in this one, especially the kind of, like, orchestral stuff and how the the music responds to what's happening and plays off of what's happening, I think shows how knowing it is. Yeah. I had a super fun time watching this movie. <laughs> Again, terrible mm-hmm. movie, not good, but super fun. Not as fun as Showgirls, but still great in its own way. There's there's so many scenes where it's like the, ca- the character of Catherine could have been in Showgirls somewhere, where she's just like, they ask her a question during the... Um, the interrogation scene and she just offers up way more information than they asked for <laughs> all about her sexual history and that she likes sex and I, and they, I was like they didn't ask you that why are you just like giving that up <laughs> it was hilarious but that's like I mean at least in part that's very knowingly done in this movie. Like, the weird thing about this movie is that, like, it's what would normally be a red herring story with no red herrings. <laughs> it's just Shane yeah. Stone. <laughs> she's just, like... <laughs> she's just basically saying, I did it, in every single line from the very first, like, entrance of the movie and never, like, really backs away from it. Like, every scene is, like, her basically insinuating that she did it. And there's not really that many other options of who it could be. There's, like, maybe you think it was the her girlfriend and then maybe you think it was Gene Triplehorn, kind of, but, like, also not really, I feel like, because, like, I don't know, it's hard to watch this movie and take it out of the cultural context, which we all saw it, I think, knowing that, like, Sharon Stone is kind of a villainous in this movie. Um, But, like, still, like, I, I just feel like it's never actually plausible that, like, she's not the killer, like... Really? I don't know, like... Again, is she the killer? <laughs> especially after watching <laughs> it twice. Like- I think it, it plays to me like the don't want you to know that she's the killer. Like, it plays to me like the intentional come away is supposed to be like, maybe any one of these women could have been the killer. Maybe any one of these women may have killed before. Because there's there's this other character, very, very small side character in this movie, who is herself a killer, and she's now a much older woman. And Catherine Tremell and she are hanging out a bunch, 
and like at, at some point they have a discussion about with Michael Douglas's character about what killing is, and they infer that you can like people who kill who have the capacity as humans to kill people can start and stop that pretty much at will. Um, so I don't know. I came away a lot less certain of that. I felt like the movie wanted it both ways. It wanted her to be innocent and be completely guilty because every other scene is like, it just changes every other scene. It doesn't make any sense. It's literally both at the same time. She wants to be mercurial. You know she's a good liar and that's about all that you're certain of. It's just, it's a Schrodinger's cat of a movie (laughs) where she's guilty and innocent at once. Schrodinger's pussy. Yeah. (laughs) You went there. Because even the last scene of this movie is her having sex with Michael Douglas in the exact same way that the killer was having sex with the, the the victim in the very first scene and then you think that like there's this long shot of like oh my god is she gonna grab an ice pick is she gonna grab an ice pick no she's just gonna like slap her hand on his chest and they're like having sex and oh isn't it romantic then pan down there's an ice pick like it just changes its mind within one sequence which is what showgirls did a lot like we <laughs> talked about like it's multiple movies in in the same scene and yeah i feel like this movie puts showgirls into more context of like why they people thought showgirls? that they could do that because <laughs> they're like it did kind of work in basic instinct. Yeah, I mean I I kind of agree is that yeah, she's playing it both ways and that like you meet her and she's so obviously the killer that you're like, well, she can't be the killer. Like, that's right. basically what it is. It's like, it's so obvious that she's Hello, the killer. I am the killer. You're telling yourself that she's not, but everything is telling you that she is. So you're waiting for the movie to be smart and be like, oh, I didn't know that. Like, there's no reason for you to even, like, pick up clues or go back and be like, oh, but this thing that I didn't notice. It's like, there's none of that. She's, because she's both the killer and not the killer at once. Yes. <laughs> like, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, also another similarity to Showgirls is just that I feel like Sharon Stone is doing the exact same, like, always aggressive performance as Elizabeth Berkley, like, always at 10. <laughs> like, it's yeah, a, hers feel- is a little more sexy and, like, di- I don't know, like, seductive. She's a better actress. <laughs> yeah, but, stu- like, it's pr- pretty much written the same way. It's like, I could see Elizabeth Berkley, like, doing this entire movie. But I also kind of think that more of that aggressiveness comes from Sharon Stone and her choices and less from Paul Verhoeven trying to, like, urge that performance out of her. I feel like this really is, like, that is her performance. Well, she's supposed to be, like, probably potentially a serial killer. Right. Whereas Elizabeth Berkley's character in Showgirls is written that way, but she's just not (laughs) supposed to be... She's also supposed to be, like, an innocent girl. Like, it makes sense for this character to behave that way when it does not in Showgirls. Can we talk about that really super aggressive and super rapey scene with Michael Douglas. And Gene Triplehorn. Like, what the fuck was that? He just casually rapes his girlfriend. As and you she's do. like, not into it and then into it? Like, it was so weird. What was that? I, I want answers. Like, what was that? Were we not supposed to like Michael Douglas? Like, I thought he was flawed, but we're supposed to, like, be on his side. And then he just fucking rapes her. No, I think that's supposed to be, like, hot. Yeah, that's, like... Is that like in Blade Runner when like there's like yeah. the aggressive sex scene? Like, yes. You, and I was just like, what is this? I think what it's exactly this? like that. Like, I'm sure some people didn't even like this back in 1992, but I think that in general, like that's Joe Esterhaz's like thing is like just this very like men are men and women are women and that kind of mm-hmm. mentality. So and that I, was supposed to be hot because I was just yes. like, we're watching a rape yes. scene. Yeah, no, it is. It's obviously supposed to be hot. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. 
It didn't I mean, hold it's up. like obviously the boundaries of our imagination about consent and the importance of it have moved a lot, but still it was like really uncomfortable. Yeah, because there are other sex scenes in the movie that are very explicit, but they're sexy because they're consensual. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even though like the murder, like, it's not consensual. Um, it was just, it was, it was, it stood out a lot. Well, I mean, not to like keep bringing up showgirls, but it's the same thing where like every woman is just like ridiculously sexual in some way. Like Jean Triplehorn is supposed to be like there's a line about her that says when that girl meets, it's for life. She's supposed to be the conservative choice, but she looks like a porn star wearing glasses, like playing a library. <laughs> yeah, she really does. <laughs> like she's so not convincing. Are there any lenses in those glasses? Probably not. No. <laughs> They're actually Groucho glasses. She just took the mustache off. <laughs> and she's the most ridiculous character. And at least, like, they actually revealed her to be, like, crazy. Because she plays crazy the entire time. My God. Like, it's just, like, there are no, like, human women in this movie. Like, no. the, the girlfriend is even more aggressively Sharon Stone than Sharon Stone is. It's like, you already have <laughs> Sharon Stone as being, like, a total bitch, basically. And then you have her girlfriend, who is, like, the meaner version of that bitch. It's just, like... But she's brunette. Yeah, there are no... There are no females, like actual females in this movie. Like, it's all just vulvas. <laughs> vulvas with occasional knives and ice picks. I want to say that another thing that this movie has in common with Showgirls is mispronouncing uh, hot couture fashion designers. Oh, I didn't notice that. In they this mispronounced one. Hermes. They oh, called yeah. it, I, I, yeah. I did notice that. They called that. it Hermes when talking Hermes. about the scarf at the scene. And I was like, it's Hermes. <laughs> Who's Mr. Hermes? <laughs> <laughs> what does he have a handbag? <laughs> also, this is where I noticed that there are so many genres of music in all of these movies. <laughs> um, in Fatal Attraction, there is salsa. In Basic oh, yeah. Instinct, there is uh, country and a shitty, awful techno industrial oh, craziness. Yeah. I don't remember that. Oh, Country oh, is oh, his oh. his partner Gus. <laughs> they go to a cowboy they bar go to a out cowboy of nowhere. Bar. <laughs> like it's and like Michael Douglas is wearing a cowboy hat. I'm yep. like, where he, he steals get, like he steals it from his partner. I think. Yeah, I think he like it, takes it off his partner's head. Like, super bizarre. Like there's suddenly in, like Texas. And then, I swear it, these movies by Joe Esterhaus are written by the telephone game. <laughs> where he's just, <laughs> it starts, he's like, he, t- he t- says a line to his friend, and then it goes down the line, and then whatever comes back at the end, he just writes down. Again, having previously illuminated writing <laughs> techniques, what Joe Esterhaus would do is he would call and leave voicemails and fill up the entire microcassette on someone's answering machine, and then someone would transcribe that. Wait, are you kidding? Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's how crazy it is. I That's, like, it, yeah. <laughs> And then the techno scene felt very <laughs> yes. much like the one in Showgirls. Yeah. Uh, with a, even the kind of the same, well, not the same aggressive violent dancing. dancing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no one can touch Elizabeth Berkley in violent oh, dancing. No. They can't but. because they can't get anywhere near her. <laughs> but Roxy, she's got a nice pick. Roxy has this, like, little head move that she's doing that where she she's does. like, I fucking Michael Douglas, but, like, you know, like, stay away from her kind of way. And it is ridiculous. <laughs> she's eye chiding him. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, I looked to see if there were gifts of that online because I. <laughs> I'm going to have to, like, make one myself, I think. Oh, my God. Uh, So, like, what do you guys think about this movie's depiction of, like, homosexuality? Because it was so problematic at the time. Like, gay rights groups were, like, super mad and, like, trying to, like, stop the movie from being made and all that. Like, Well, I don't think problematic is the right word. I think controversial is, you know, like, it was controversial at the time, obviously. Yeah. I don't get that 
so much. If a movie like that came out now, I think there would be far more controversy about other things, especially the gender politics and gender norms of it and consent with that, with Gene Triplehorn. Like, I, I don't think, I don't think it's a particularly homophobic movie, especially because I don't think it particularly tries to say anything about yeah. her as bisexual, about Roxy as like being lesbian or bisexual at all. You know, it's it's a thing that's, like, so not even tangentially connected into the plot of the movie. If anything, I was kind of surprised how frank it was about her bisexuality. I just think you can't take this movie seriously at all. That like, too. Like, if Glenn Close's character in Fatal Attraction was bisexual and there was something there, like, I feel like maybe that could be more, like, insulting or offensive in a way. That, like, the villain is, you know, queer or whatever. Um, but this was just like, I can't take anything seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I mean, this is as serious as a like lesbian porno, you know, like obviously made by men and shot by men. There's no humanity. Like this is offensive to humans, not to (laughs) any specific group of humans. It's just like, these people are not human beings. So to ascribe anything to them, like it's, it's just a Joe Esterhaus thing is that like every woman in all of his movies will sleep with other women because that's what yeah. hot women do in, in yeah. his vision of the world. So yeah, I definitely think like this was a weird choice. I guess I can kind of see it at the time because there were so many other movies that had like villainous characters who were gay or um, transsexual or whatever. Like mm-hmm. I think that was a problem sort mm-hmm. of a, as a trend like around like the late 80s and 90s. Although this movie probably just kind of picked it up as a like, ooh, that would be fun. Like, yeah. And like really doesn't say anything. Like I, I don't think there's any moment where that lesbian relationship is believable. It's mm-hmm. just like, here's two hot women. Like, there you go. Yeah, well, and also it's like we know through Catherine's character that she just fucks people. She doesn't really have relationships. Right. You know, so it's like it wouldn't even be organic within the context of that character. Yeah. How bad is Paul Verhoeven at sex? (laughs) Because this is another movie where, like, all of the sex, it's a little bit better in this movie, but it's still, like, really aggressive and, like... I don't know. The the way that it shows sex is just like people basically like having seizures and Sharon Stone and always trying to eat each other. Yes. And Sharon Stone always like every time she ends sex, she does it in a stabbing motion. Like the very end scene when there you think she might pick up an ice pick, but the way she thrusts her hand it's on his chest. Yeah. It's so weird. It's weird. Yeah. I guess he's a really stabby fucker. I don't know. <laughs> I like that the famous San Francisco building looks like either an ice pick or a penis. Why not both? Why not both? I want to just say that there are some really fantastic lines in this movie. <laughs> Truly. The Jack and Coke scene. She wishes that there was Coke because it goes so well with Jack Daniels. Do you have any Coke? I just love Coke with Jack Daniels. Got a Pepsi in the fridge. Oh, it's not really the same thing now, is it? It's the scene where he's having a drink for the first time in, like, three months. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, well, I think I have Pepsi. And she's like, well, that's not really the same thing, is it? Because he's been a cocaine addict in in this movie. Um, There's that. There's killing isn't like smoking. You can quit. Yeah, that that was the line I referred to earlier. Mm Mm-hmm. She's evil. She's brilliant. And pretty much anything out of Gene Triplehorn's mouth is... <laughs> so great. Instant classic. Like, so great. It's, and it's, she's, like, yelling that line. Yeah. She's evil! 
She's brilliant! It's real campy, but <laughs> in a way that feels intentional. Like, there's a there's a vision to this movie that feels like it was made the way it was supposed to be made and not that it's an embarrassment. Yeah, I mean, obviously Sharon Stone is a better actress than Elizabeth Berkley, but Sh- Sharon Stone got a career out of this movie and Elizabeth Berkley ended her career with Showgirls. That's true. Yeah. She's also so pretty. <laughs> like, I was, that's one of my notes. I was just like looking at her. I was like, is she real? Like, she's gorgeous. She's, yeah, just like <laughs> yeah. inhumanly gorgeous. And gorgeous. I have to say, like, the costume design in both this movie and Fatal Attraction is great. Pretty fantastic. Yeah. Because both of them have like really iconic looks, like Glenn All Close white. with that like Medusa kind of hair. And like the first moment you see her, you're like, oh, that, that's a crazy woman. <laughs> you know why I think white? I mean, obviously, I feel like in. Basic Instinct, they are trying to do the whole Hitchcock blonde that he would dress them in white. But I also think blood stands out more in white clothes. Mm -hmm. So that's why these Yeah, and it's also also very much like a symbolic playing off against the image of white as being a color of purity and and innocence. And that brings us to Disclosure. Disclosure was released December 9th, 1994. Why? Why? Yeah. Stop asking important questions this early, Chris. <laughs> Let us get there. <laughs> I mean, I think we know why this got made hmm. after the past two movies were huge money makers. Getting that Michael Douglas. Yeah. Uh, the budget was fifty-five million. Why? <laughs> because the last two movies made buckets of money. Okay. The box office was eighty-three million domestic, two hundred and fourteen million worldwide. It why? is the. It is the number three highest earning erotic thriller of all time. One, two, three. All Michael Douglas in a row. (laughs) It is directed by Barry Levinson. Why? (laughs) Why? Okay, now I'm joining in. I'm joining in. He did Rain Man and uh, among other good movies. So, Mm -hmm. And then this. It was written by Paul Atanasio uh, Mm -hmm. based on Michael Crichton's novel. It stars Michael Douglas, Demi Moore, and Donald Sutherland. Oh, boy. Um, Annette Benning was originally set to play the role of Meredith until she became pregnant and dropped out. Gina Davis and Michelle Pfeiffer were also considered before Levinson casted Demi Moore. Um, she was hot off of Ghost. I mean, she was around for a while, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, um, she was an 80s, like, Brat Pack girl. Yeah. But Ghost was the one that made her, like, I think, a bankable star on her own, kind of. Yeah. <sighs> you stick your dick in my mouth and then you get an attack of morality? This never happened, all right? Yeah, well, she never used to be this way. I have a family now. Oh, yeah, well, the family made you stupid. You take those two champagne bottles in your refrigerator and you go fuck them. Oh, you son of a bitch. You get back here and finish what you started. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Get back here and finish what you started or you're fucking dead. Do you hear me? You are fucking dead! The Metacritic score for this movie is 58, which is uh, way higher than Basic Instinct and only a little lower than Fatal Attraction. This was not really a poorly reviewed 
movie. It was kind of a middling movie, which we might be surprised about <laughs> as we go forward. We might be. <laughs> Owen Gleiberman of Entertainment Weekly liked the movie. He gave it an 83 and said, The movie, like the book, is a work of opportunistic gamesmanship, a luridly far-fetched conspiracy thriller masquerading as an inquiry into the zeitgeist. You can't take disclosure very seriously, yet the film has been made with the cleverness and skill and with a keen eye for the latest styles in corporate paranoia and ruthlessness. The New York Times was less favorable. Uh, Janet Maslin said, The storytelling of disclosure is too forced and polemical to be on par with better Crichton tales like Jurassic Park. This time it's the author who's the dinosaur. Hmm. What did you think of disclosure? (laughs) Some of my notes are audible gasp. The faces I am making. (laughs) I am grabbing my cheeks with my mouth wide open. Okay, that does not sound right. (laughs) It's good for this movie. It works for this movie. Yeah, some ass grab in there. So I had never seen this movie. I don't... First of all, the pre- the premise of this movie, I think, is still widely known. The premise, I think what everyone knows about this movie, is that Michael Douglas is sexually harassed by a superior of his, Demi Moore, a female, and that, like, hijinks ensue, basically. Like, he's trying to... Hijinks. <laughs> he, he's trying to, like, prove his innocence. And when you say, like, a movie about sexual harassment, I think this is the movie that comes to mind. In fact, I can't really think of any other movies that do? Nine to five? I was going to say nine to five. But it's That's a comedy. Kind of the only other one. Yeah. It's over the top comedy. Yeah. But I mean, there's not a lot. No, which is surprising. And so it's very weird that the one that at least comes to mind the most for me, and like that, this is the only one of the 90s that we just mentioned, mm-hmm. is about a female harassing a male, which can happen. Probably is not 99% of sexual harassment cases or whatever. So like... Obviously, I was very interested in kind of checking this out and seeing how this plays, what is it, 25 years later now? But I feel like I was not adequately prepared for how bonkers this movie This movie is so bonkers. Bonkers like, in that is, I tried to think of another word. No, That would approximate is, my feeling about this. It's like five different movies. Yeah. None of them good. Right. And all of them just crunched right together. Because aside from the main plot of you know, a woman sexually harassing a man, which is like, even if it was done like really, really well in this movie and was plausible, I think it would still be kind of a problem that it was made in the first place or just that there weren't other movies like depicting this from like the other point of view that's much more common of men sexually harassing women is like, like it's, it's kind of like a problem that talking about all these movies is that like, they're all about white men being victims of aggressive women and powerful women and that like it's it's more likely that a woman is going to be stalked by a man and yet there are some movies that do that but i feel like in this kind of genre this erotic sort of thriller genre like it's always the other way around and just like the fact that you have michael douglas being this victim to like three different women in in such close succession in his career is a little bit like mm, like Maybe we should also make a movie about a woman being a victim, you know, or yeah. like yeah, victimized. And I, and I think that's more, that's a criticism more of the system in which these were the movies that were financed and produced and released. I totally agree. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, yeah, because I think you're exactly spot on with that, which is like, there was not a broad, established cultural context uh, depicting women getting 
serially abused and harassed in the workplace and having to navigate the legal quagmire that existed then and still exists now when women try to report or deliberate whether or not they should even report being abused by their superiors. Yeah, this feels like a kind of a clever twist on five movies that don't actually exist. Like, there were five movies about this, and then they're like, what if it was a man? But instead of having those (laughs) movies, it's just like... Well, let's make it about a man. Yeah, and to get into what I actually thought about the movie, like, on the largest level, I think this is a movie that tries to posit that a powerful woman would abuse and harass a man subordinate in exactly the same ways that a powerful man would abuse a female subordinate. (laughs) And I think that's a mark of just bad writing from the start and bad storytelling, because, of course, a woman would approach something like this a different way, would have to, whether she expects to get away with it or not, and would face different risks and consequences and incentives to try to abuse or harass someone in a subordinate position to them. Um, And I think that could have been a much more interesting movie. Um, But especially because of just the way that all that writing and the formation of that character is approached, I agree that it kind of totally fails. Right. So even though this would have been a problematic movie, probably no matter what, the way that it is executed is a hundred times deeply extra problematic. Yeah, it Um, fails on its crazy merits. Yeah, This movie... (laughs) All three of these movies, but mostly this movie, hate women so much. This movie especially hates Hates women. women. Doesn't trust them. This movie is victim-blaming and women-hating all at once, even when the woman is not the victim. Yeah, Dennis Miller is the world's dumbest sexist pig, and also he plays a character in this film. (laughs) 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 But again, it's 25 years later, or whatever. But the degree and openness of just fucking filth mouth he has toward women, it was so gross. It was so, and oh. his character only gets rewarded for it. In the movie. I don't even that mean the characters. I just mean the movie itself hates women. Yeah. The, well, where I, do we even? I want to ask you more about that because do you do you feel like the movie hates women or Demi more? Women, like her character. Women. <laughs> because I actually feel like this movie. I want to praise it for one thing, which sounds like it's going to completely go against what, what how you felt, which is interesting. But like, I thought this movie was kind of, in a way, bending over backwards to have other female characters. At some level, it knew what it was doing because it has the woman who ends up getting the promotion in the end, and then there's another coworker who's kind of talking back against, like, kind of misogyny in the workplace. The assistant, we can talk about that character, but, like, is in the movie and, like, has a a point. I totally agree with you, Chris. I think that's exactly right. I think this movie has more to say about powerful women and specifically about Demi Moore. But more, if we're it, like, if we're talking about generally what it's commenting on, I think it's powerful women in the workplace. Why did we need this movie in 1992? Why did we need the story of of a woman finally when women get leadership positions? Like, ooh, cautionary tale, don't put women in leadership positions because this will happen on their first day of work. No, that's that's the perfect segue. Like, this is when it really crystallized in my mind what I think all of these movies are about. It's kind of two things simultaneously. I think these movies reflect straight white men's sexual anxiety toward women, their, like, fear of commitment commitment 
to relationships and to committed heterosexual, like monogamous relationships. And I also think this, these movies are all reflective of that 80s time, exe- Becky, exactly as you're saying, of women coming to prominent leadership positions and roles, especially in corporate America, and the ways that in backlash, but really just also in reaction, straight men were learning to navigate that, especially as women weren't just rising up in the ranks of corporate power, but were also asserting their sexual power in the culture and in relationships. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, all three of these movies are also, if you are a, are a sexually positive, you know, woman who likes sex, you're a villain. Like, all of these movies mm-hmm. have the women not just desiring sex, but being very frisky, being very adventurous. Um, and they're all the the antagonist. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's gross. <laughs> it's gross. The point is, you control the meeting. You set the time. You order the wine. You lock the door. You demanded service. And then you got angry when he didn't provide it. So you decided to get even, to get rid of him with this trumped-up charge. Ms. Johnson, the only thing you have proven is that a woman in power can be every bit as abusive as a man. You want to put me on trial here? Let's at least be honest about what it's for. I am a sexually aggressive woman. I like it. Tom knew it, and you can't handle it. It is the same damn thing since the beginning of time. Veil it, hide it, lock it up, and throw away the key. We expect a woman to do a man's job, make a man's money, and then walk around with a parasol and lie down for a man to fuck her like it was still a hundred years ago? Well, no thank you. I just the fact that this movie existed, I was like, this is the one of the first movies we're having about sexual harassment is the woman harassing the man because poor poor man getting falsely accused because it's not just him being sexually assaulted by Demi Moore it's him being falsely accused that he was the one raping her and he was the one harassing her and so now it's about poor men getting falsely accused and that women are liars right yeah i mean we talked about in fatal attraction that like he aside from having the affair in the first place he does things relatively well and then in basic instinct he's supposed to be kind of a jerk and they're both jerks so it's like it's not really as problematic but in this movie he really feels sorry for himself not even with just like the sexual harassment thing but even before that he's like whining about not getting this promotion like he says like this is the worst day of my life just because like like this woman got hired instead of him yeah and he's like freaking out at work and like banging things on the table i'm like you seem like an asshole like you shouldn't get a promotion and then he has this weird speech about how like 80% of suicides are committed by men as if like men are like victims you know like oh yeah this whole movie is like poor men yeah and it's also I'm afraid to say it but I think part of this is Michael Crichton as well because he was very much a reactionary right wing shitbird Um, as as good as I still maintain Jurassic Park and many of his other works are like I think this in much in the same way I, I think Again, in retrospect, especially these movies are reflective of a society that did not value, that did not actually value the sexual agency or humanity of women, uh, even when it made roles where they asserted their sexuality. And, you know, like, because these are movies that I think pretend to be sex positive and aren't really. No, they're not. These, they're showing sexually aggressive women and painting them as the villain. As a threat. As yeah. a threat. Women that have careers that are powerful, whether that's being whatever <laughs> Glenn Close is in Veil mm. Attraction, and then Sharon Stone is a successful author, and Demi Moore is the VP of this company, all very sexually aggressive, and uh, I guess abusing their, their power. Um, it's just like everything about them is like, 
to be scared of and how they're going to ruin your life and ruin your family life. It was just gross. And besides the fact that this movie is dumb, <laughs> like <laughs> badly written, like just the basic plot of it, of this happening, then this happening, is just like, I... I I could not feel bad for Michael Douglas, even though he was. And I don't want it to be like, oh, men don't get sexually harassed. It does happen. But like the fact that why well, are we and, getting and, this story over other stories? And like the, it doesn't take sexual harassment seriously, because even during the rape scene, we're supposed to ogle Demi Moore on her breasts. Like and even it turns into like, oh, I'm into it for for a moment. And for it's a long, long. Yeah, moment. he like long rips her moment. underwear off. Like the thing that I knew about this movie is that there was like a hot sex scene, which I actually, before I saw the movie, I thought, okay, so I guess maybe they have an affair. But like the hot sex scene is the rape scene. <laughs> like, and then she has her boobs out, and we're supposed to like look at her butt, and like, and I was like, this is gross. Because if this were really taking it seriously, it really would take it seriously and be like, what do you like? It's in a violation of this man's body, but then it turns hot. Like, it was so gross. This movie does not know what sexual harassment is, because this is not sexual harassment. This is sexual assault, for one thing. Yeah, also Um, that, yeah. (laughs) It feels like the movie around that sex scene is supposed to be about, like, oh, like, he went up there and she asked him to rub her shoulders and then he left, you know, like, and whatever. But then they play out this, like, ridiculous sex scene where he's, like, pretty into it. Like, he says no I mean, he's not times. into it. He's no. And then he gets, like... But, like, he's also not... Like, he could clearly stop it. Like, she's going down on him for a while. And he's, like, saying no, but, like... But the movie is making him stay because it's it's a sex scene. Like, right, it's making but, it like, be he a could, sex scene. He has the power to be, like, actually don't and, like, push her off of him. Even, like, in a not-in-violent way. Then he rips off her underwear, at which point I think you can't claim that, like, you are being sexually harassed. Like, you can... He later decides not to have sex with her, and that's his right to do at the moment. But, like, that's not sexual harassment anymore. That's a whole, like, sexual situation and, like, various... Like, he's kind of assaulting her, and then she's assaulting him, and... The only reason I don't want to, like... Because... If it, the roles were reversed, like some women feel like, okay, I feel like I have to get into this because I shouldn't push them off because he's my boss and he could fire me. So I tried to like, I was thinking that too, like he could just push her off, but I'm thinking like, okay, he does know that that's her superior. He doesn't know what she can do and he needs his job. So I gave him a pass, I guess, for what happened. But then there's panty ripping. <laughs> Okay. I mean, I also, I want to pause for a second just because, like, we keep actively dismissing sexual harassment and assault against men. And it happens a lot. It's it's a much, much, much larger percentage of sexual harassment and assault than is reported or discussed. But where it happens in to the people who it happens to, the victims are most commonly completely powerless men in our society who don't have any wealth. And, you know, it's it's not people like Michael Douglas who are super rich and well off. So yeah, like I, I don't I don't want us to dismiss mm-hmm. that. But I do think if anything, that that is more in the column of how unrepresentative this kind of story told this way is. Yeah, I mean there are there should be stories about men who are exactly. you know what I mean? And, but- and and it's and it's kind of a taboo for us to talk about it. Or, you know, in the case of like prison rape, we joke about it collectively. Right. It just think that this movie is not taking any of it seriously. Yeah. It's trying to make it hot. 
something that bothered me was that afterwards, when this violation happened, because the movie's not taking it seriously, he's just like, forget it happened. And then the next day, like, they're saying, oh, she said that you uh, assaulted her. But, like, throughout the movie, it's never been like, okay, well, I got off from these charges, but she really did assault me. Like, they never go back to him actually being violated. Like, that did happen. And it has no psychological effect on him. It's only that she blamed him. It's yeah. not that, like, he's actually bothered by what she did. She, yeah, he has, like, like a dream. He has to deal with. He has a dream that Donald, Donald Sutherland is, like, oh, French, Frenching him or something. <laughs> the best moment. The best moment. Which is another reason why this movie doesn't take it seriously. They make a joke out of it. Well, and they <laughs> make a, gay a joke. Gay, like, a, a man assaulting him. Like, that's worse, you know? Like, yeah. Oh well, he wanted it because Demi Moore is hot. Like it's it's undermining its own argument. Is like yeah. well, he's not really bothered by that. Cause look, she's hot. But what if right. it was Donald Sutherland? Yeah. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. It's a nice suit. Thank you. Nice fabric. Can I feel it? Sure. What is that like a tropical wool? With a little bit of viscose. That's what makes the uh, pants drape so well. You work out, Tom? When I get a chance, Bob has been kind of busy lately, but... Uh... I've always liked you, Tom. Bob. Now you have the power. You have something I want. Come on, Bob. That's why this whole movie, like, pissed me off, because this does happen to men, and they do feel violated, and he should want right. her to be charged with, with rape. Because You know what I mean? Like, that's why it was just completely like, well, the, the important thing here is that I don't get charged, that I am falsely accused, not the fact that I actually was the one that was raped. Ugh. Right. Well, I think another problem with this is that they have this whole backstory where they used to be in a relationship. Yeah, where what, like, which doesn't right. make any sense. Like Why? this movie would be so much more interesting if she was a like a woman that he didn't know, and yeah. then something like this happened—a better version. But like at least then that would feel like sexual harassment. This feels like an revenge? like an ex, yeah, that's like yeah. mad at him and getting revenge. Can you clarify something for me? Because I don't know. This movie was dumb. But <laughs> <laughs> so why did she do that? Did she just? want to have sex with him and the whole thing happened and then she blamed him for revenge or or is it because she wanted him out of the company and that was her way like she knew she was gonna say he at- assaulted me like what was the goal there what was going through her mind the whole time like did that come I up i think it's not clear yeah yeah it's it's confusing because i, I don't think it really makes sense if that was her plan all along because like how would she even mm-hmm. know that he would say no you know maybe like, because she would just get a a kit done and they would see that he came yeah. in her and you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I don't think there's enough in the movie for that. So I think that's a strategy that she comes up with like after he like beats her and like reveals, you know, that. So she was just trying to fuck her ex. I think so. <laughs> on the yeah, first day of so. her job. Which, yeah, that's why it's like a horrible <laughs> depiction of a woman. Yeah, and like she's she's weaponizing her sexuality to destroy him one way or another. You know, it's like there's not an outcome of that scene where she would treat him well. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, like on her like exercise machine, like in a like sports bra or whatever later in the movie. Like she's just like not a believable like woman who would she would have had to work so hard to get to this position, and <laughs> she's just not a competent person. Like she doesn't, she's not smart and. The fact that she, like, has gotten where she's gotten, like, is just so unbelievable. Like, I would have really liked her to be 
a really brilliant like antagonist for him like kind of constantly outsmarting him and like using things that she knows in a way it's, it's like very smart of her to do this it plays out in such a dumb way and it like was she like a serial sexual assaulter because her secretary locks the door from the outside which like gave me like Harvey Weinstein assistant vibes Matt Lauer <laughs> like, is there a button under her desk what was that? Like, did she tell the secretary, make sure you lock the door? Like, why don't you interview the secretary and, and ask her why did she do that? Yeah. I was just like, what? Yeah, no, it, it was... This movie makes no sense. This no, movie makes no, no sense. Um, can we talk about computers? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this film just had its finger on the pulse of the digital wave. Where do we even start? We start, uh, let's start with the with, beginning. We start with how relatable it is to get an email asking <laughs> if your dick is hard. <laughs> how about no, an email opening. that's just like email, email, yeah, spinning email? The opening e. is like the whole opening to this movie for some reason is like wandering through the house, but like, and you hear all this dialogue, but you don't see it, and it's weird. But it's like on a computer, like the most elaborate email, and. <laughs> The daughter is like, Dad, you got an email. Dad, you got an email. Like, for five minutes, no one listens to her. So, so excited she just that there's an email. She just reads it. The computer is excited that she, that he got an email. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's ridiculous, but whatever. This is, it's very, like, Michael Crichton-y to be like, look at how ahead of the times I am. 1994, <laughs> I was 11. I don't remember when we got AOL, but I definitely had it by 12, and it didn't look like that. <laughs> no, but I don't, like, when I was, like, researching this, it doesn't feel like people actually, like, caught on to the fact that the technology is super ridiculous in this movie. Not even just the technology, but there's a lot of business jargon that, I want to play a drinking game to this and just, like, drink every time they say merger, yes. and, like, or just, like, some line that's, like, a lot of blah, jargon. Blah, blah, blah. There's so much business jargon. It's great. It's, it's really quite boring. Like, they, they don't come up with, like, a good way to, like, streamline that for the audience. Like, I think yeah, maybe really that played in the book, because yeah. it's a book, <laughs> but... In the movie, you're just like, what? Like, they're in the CD-ROM business. <laughs> CD-ROM? CD-ROM drive business. What does that mean? A CD-ROM is a thing that you use to put CDs yeah. of information. <laughs> like, And they're, like, outsourcing to Malaysia. And so they have all these, like, video sync-ups with Malaysia. But they also have a, a drive that's a virtual reality drive where you store your files, but you actually go in there and... and a database. That's a database, not a drive. Okay. It's very important. I had no idea this movie would end in a VR sequence, and I literally yelled out loud. I found what email looked like in 1994, and it didn't have the spinning E. No. <laughs> it really just looks like kind of a version of what we have today. Yeah. And then various shenanigans. <laughs> One of the climaxes, he's like trying to delete a file, and like Demi Moore like shows up in the virtual reality as like a... Oh an God. avatar as and if like it's a horror movie and it's like ridiculous oh, you're forgetting the angel which is like a yeah. character <laughs> which I forget, forget it a uh, character that he works with that is like represented as a VR angel to help him and there's a line in the VR program that says if you have any questions please ask the angel so, so, so dumb her way of deleting the files is to type kill all Malaysia do it kill all Malaysia <laughs> <laughs> knew that the internet played such a big part in this story. Yeah, that was crazy harassment. to me. Like, this is even before the net. Yeah. Oh my god. And then the movie ends with an, 
like an email or a drawing or something, and it says, Daddy, we miss you, a family. Yes, I yeah. was like, that wasn't a real sentence. And that's the, <laughs> that's the end. Like I'm like, what? Daddy, we miss you, a family. No comma. Nope. Like, <laughs> not, Daddy, we miss you, your family. Just a family, any family. A family misses you. A family has sent you a message collectively. There is also a friend who oh, yes. emails... Michael oh, Douglas. God. Not really clues, just like urging him to figure things out, basically. Keep digging. Yeah. Uh, but like, in the end, it's revealed that this person's like name is a friend or that someone yeah. was like using, but like the email Alexander is blocked. friend. Yeah, it was so it, dumb. It was the, the per- this is why this movie hates women. <laughs> the woman who does get promoted after Jimmy mm-hmm. Morris fired, it turns out that she was behind it and her son because her son works for somebody named a Alexander friend or whatever, Arnold friend. So it was like Herbie, like she was the one that was trying to get Demi Moore fire. Like what? Or yeah. Like every woman in this movie is an asshole. Yes. Uh, it just, it doesn't. None of that makes any sense. <laughs> His coworker is, is the one sexually harassing him. When he keeps saying, like, all right, you hard after seeing Demi Moore, he sends him an email, is your cock hard right now? <laughs> like, that's harassment. Yes. That oh, yeah. Who sends that email? Is that is it Dennis Miller? Is that think? Dennis Miller? Yeah. Was, uh, I'm like, he's the one sexually harassing you. Right. And, um, like, and everyone in his vicinity <laughs> at all times. The very first thing we see of Demi Moore's character are her legs and heels. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, God. <laughs> that's all she is. And, like, the mo- this movie is most famous for the ass grab on the poster, like, mm-hmm. which is such a mixing... Like, if the movie's about sexual harassment, like, you can't mm-hmm. have, like, hot. grabbing an ass on the poster and, and make it, like, yeah. ooh, like, look at that. Like, I need to see that movie. Ugh. Like, it's just so backwards. Like, this whole movie is just bonkers. Oh, no, 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 wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. No, wait, wait a second. Shh. Shh. So, so. Nobody has to know. Nobody gets hurt. <laughs> it's just a meeting between two colleagues. Just another dull day in the computer business. Mm-hmm. No. No. No, honey. No. 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 Huh? You want to get fucked, huh? Yeah, come on, do it. what you want? You want to get fucked? They wanted an erotic thriller because the last two did so well with Michael Douglas. It's true. But I guess they wanted to explore something that was in the, zeit- in the zeitgeist, which was women starting to get yeah. powerful positions and also sexual harassment was starting to become a thing because more women were getting jobs. So it was like happening more. And it turned into this piece of shit. I can't believe <laughs> that this movie didn't have worse reviews. This is a terrible movie. Yeah, I'm surprised yeah, that it doesn't have more of a reputation. I thought it was yeah. just going to be like kind of a problematic premise but like done fine because that's kind of seemed like that was the reaction to it at the time and i'm surprised that it isn't more known for both the like really problematic sexual politics and then also just the ludicrous like computer plot and like everything else that just like (laughs) does not hold up in this movie yeah whatsoever i can't yeah i can't believe this doesn't have more of a reputation Oh, boy. I'm glad I watched it. Yeah. <laughs> Very entertaining. Would watch it again immediately. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think we absolutely all need to watch this together <laughs> in a non-sober mode. <laughs> 
Yeah. I would say out of all these movies, I think you should watch all of them. <laughs> watch them all. But Fatal Attraction is the good one. <laughs> like legitimately yes. good. Yes. They're all, they, they all stand out. And for as much as we did this as a theme together, I think they're all very different and saying very different things about women, mostly bad things. But like, <laughs> I was, I, I expected it to be more of a trend, like, oh, like this crazy woman keeps coming after him. And instead, they're all very different kinds of crazy women. <laughs> yeah, I expected it to be a much more monotonous viewing experience than it was. Yeah. Like, they're, they're such different plots. Those women characters are so different. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are like, <laughs> I think they're all very much cast in a villain role and in a negative way, even at that. But it was surprising. And I do think that Fatal Attraction is the only legitimately good one. And I do think it's worth a watch if you haven't. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about like whether or not these movies could or are still being made. Like after Fatal Attraction, it wasn't exactly the first one of these movies, but it was definitely like the one that hit the zeitgeist the most and is the number one. And so like it definitely set off a trend with uh, Misery in 1990, The Hand That Wrecks the Cradle in 1992, well, Single White Female in 92. Misery is not erotic thriller. No, but it's a crazy... <laughs> crazy woman okay. and like she's obsessed with okay them. okay 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 poison ivy the crush vanilla sky swim fan obsessed the roommate and unforgettable is the most recent one in 2016 really katherine heigl like they're all just like crazy women like who are obsessed not always with men sometimes it's with like a f- female friend mm-hmm. or something like that there are very few movies with men that are like this there's fear with mark <laughs> Wahlberg. yes Cape Fear, kind of, maybe. Like, that's hmm. a little bit, maybe more of a serial killer movie, but... I haven't seen any of these movies. And Sleeping oh, with the Enemy. Something. All right. <laughs> and then more recently, um, The Boy Next Door is one of these movies with Jennifer Lopez. But there are very few of them, and they are not nearly, like, the cultural touchstones that, like, some of these movies are. Isn't there a show on Netflix right now called You that's about a guy stalking a girl? I think so. Yes. I've, I've watched it. I think it's really good. I think it's really well done. It's incredibly disturbing. Oh, really? Um, I think it approaches it from just so much more of a modern and serious perspective than any of these hmm, movies. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, I recommend that as well if you're into stalking stories. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get enough. I'm obsessed with them. <laughs> I mean, I follow them wherever they are and watch them. <laughs> That's all the following we're going to do on this episode of When We Were Young. On our next episode... And the nominees for the next When We Were Young podcast episode are Saving Private Ryan, 1998's World War II epic directed by Steven Spielberg, or Shakespeare in Love, 1998's Harvey Weinstein-shepherded historical rom-com that may or may not have stolen the Best Picture Oscar from Saving Private Ryan. And the winner is, it's a tie between Saving Private Ryan and Shakespeare in Love. We are going to be looking at the Oscars from the year 1999 that had the 1998 movies and kind of re-evaluating whether or not Shakespeare in Love deserved Best Picture, was Saving Private Ryan better, and just kind of looking back at the Oscars overall. And that's all the Oscar gold we have time for. The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. Check us out on iTunes and leave us a review of five stars or more. And you can also find us on all the social medias if you want to suggest a future episode. I've been Seth Pearson. I'm Becky. Or am I? (laughs) And I feel you. I taste you. I think you. I touch you. (laughs) 